Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. We are about to talk to a person who might have been honored by Queen Elizabeth. And the only reason why he wasn't is because of the pandemic. However, he has and continues to make a difference for horses. And we'll explain how not only he has, but why Queen Elizabeth was so excited about it. I am excited about the canine cruise. I always have been. I will continue to be for my entire life. But something very special is happening Blah, 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 blah. It's a scary Halloween dog costume contest on the Chicago River with the canine crews. We'll hear about that, too. She knows about dog flu. Dr. Natalie Marks is here. So the dog flu, some would say there's a resurgence of dog flu, but I wonder how you feel about that. I wonder if it really never went away. And where there's no vaccination, dog flu is going to happen, like right now. It's happening in Nashville, Dr. Marks. Yeah, I agree with you, Steve. I think it's something just like human flu, right? It sits around. It's never really going to be eradicated, certainly not without widespread vaccination. Um, But yeah, right now in Nashville, what we know is that there's certainly a a bit of an quote-unquote outbreak that's happening, right? A lot more cases. But as we've been talking about, just because it's in Nashville, you know, dogs travel, dogs move, people move. um, And just a road trip away, this could be happening in other cities in Tennessee or in Atlanta, or as we know, dogs fly. And we could be seeing this in other states quickly. Yeah, and all it takes is one dog that flies to Chicago, whatever that city might be, Detroit, anywhere. If that dog is infected and walks even down the street because this is highly contagious isn't it and comes to -to face-to-face contact with another dog that other dog if not vaccinated may get the flu as well and then off we go in detroit or chicago yeah and we know from this disease that virtually all of the unvaccinated dogs become infected when they're exposed to this virus so unless you have been talking to your veterinarian about what we know to be CIRDC, the Canine Infectious Respiratory Disease Complex, which is basically just an umbrella term for a bunch of different respiratory diseases that can affect your dog. The one we most commonly think of is kennel cough or bordetella, but canine influenza sits in that umbrella. So unless your dog's been vaccinated, your dog is one of these unvaccinated exposed dogs that could be walking down the street next to that frequent flyer. You know, routinely we vaccinate for what you just called kennel cough, which is in of itself a combination of a variety of different diseases, potentially. Uh, But we don't necessarily, depending on where you happen to live, do this routinely for dog flu. That seems confusing to me. It is. And I think, you know, this is something that we're really trying to educate both pet parents and veterinarians as well about being more thorough with our respiratory coverage, because we do think about kennel cough, which again is bordetella and usually parainfluenza. Um, but we think of canine influ- influenza more reactively kind of after the fact, or, oh, by the way, my dog's going to board. But we know today's dog is incredibly social for the most part. We're going to dog parks. We're going to dog patios and cafes. We're traveling. We're taking road trips. We're doing agility and nose work classes and all kinds of stuff, or just hanging out at that park at the end of the street where everybody goes after work. Mm -hmm. And yes, you're right. This is close contact with other dogs or being in an area where an infected dog has been. 
Like we know in Chicago, a lot of dogs got dog flu by riding in that condo elevator after an infected dog. So it doesn't have to be real-time contact. It can just be exposure from other dogs that were infected there right before your dog. So to me, there's really good news, potentially, because there's been a vaccine forever for uh, kennel cough and bordetella and uh, parainfluenza, which you describe. Uh, but there's a vaccine for dog flu, too. So if we paired it up for protection, it would protect our dogs. Absolutely. And certainly that's what we recommend is talking to your veterinarian about what you do with your dog on a daily basis. Remember, this is just your dog being communal. It doesn't have to be highly social activities like a hundred dog doggy daycare every day. This is your dog being in contact with other dogs and being social in whatever way your dog is. So talking to your veterinarian about the CIRDC, right? Bordetella and canine influenza and making drugs, making sure your dog is protected for both. So you are now in charge of the world. <laughs> for, for, you are. So, so for boarding facilities or doggy daycare, where there are going to be other dogs, even entering a dog park for, for that. Uh, already, if you enter a dog park, it will say very often, you must have this Bordetella vaccine. Would you add dog flu to that as well? Well, if I was in charge of the world, which sounds very powerful, yes, I would. Um, and one of the big things is, and this is the hard part with canine influenza and why there's easily outbreaks, is dogs are shedding this virus, meaning they are contagious to other dogs while they act totally normal or they're asymptomatic. So a lot of doggy daycares in the past have suggested, well, I'll just screen for dogs that are symptomatic. They're coughing or they have eye discharge or they they act lethargic. The problem is, is that our highly contagious dogs come into those doggy daycares acting totally normal or into those boarding facilities. Mm -hmm. And then a couple days later, we've got a huge outbreak. So it's very important to be proactive. And for all of these communal areas, doggy parks and boarding facilities, grooming facilities, all the places where dogs are going to be in a social environment, I would definitely recommend vaccinating for both. Excellent information, Dr. Natalie Marks. As always, thank you. Thanks, Steve. Ship ahoy! Captain Gabe Argumento of the Mercury Skyline Cruise Line is here to talk about a very special deal for dogs. Explain what this is, Captain. Yes, so this weekend... And next weekend, we have the 2022 Halloween Canine Cruise. Halloween! Uh, Right. Yeah, the Canine Cruise runs. uh, It's a 10.15 a.m. departure for 90 minutes of quality time with you and your best friend or multiple best friends. Uh, But the idea is, I mean, you've done this for a while, the Canine Cruise, but now we want the canines dressed in costumes, huh? Yep. Uh, So each cruise... uh, we're going to feature uh, pumpkin-flavored dog treats and prizes for the best costumes. Uh, the winners of the best costume contest will be eligible for the grand prize, which is a $1,000 donation to the dog charity of their choice. Wow. That is very, very cool. And by the way, throughout the year, throughout the summer, I've witnessed this time and time again regarding the canine cruise. Jack Russell Terriers in particular, but all dogs, come kind of dressed up anyway, wearing a captain's hat or a sailor suit or something like that. So this is not a stretch, is it? No, it is not. You know, all uh, all summer we've been offering the regular canine crews, um, and people are feel free to uh, dress up their dogs. It's the ultimate uh, open car window uh, experience that uh, <laughs> both you and your dog can enjoy. I love the way you put that. You don't have a poop deck, though, do you? We do not. We do not. But That's good. Uh, we do have uh, some newspapers down just in case. Just in case. All right. So you are, 
at Michigan Avenue and Wacker Drive and have been there for a very long time. Uh, you, this Mercury Skyline Cruise Line, the originators of the original, the originators of the original, yeah, I can say that, uh, architecture mm-hmm. cruise in Chicago using uh, docents from the Chicago Architecture Foundation. And now everybody says they have an architecture cruise and you have a captain saying, there's a tall building, uh, there's uh, another tall building over there. No, that's not the real deal. You offer the real deal. But in addition to that, have been among other boat rides offering what is called the Canine Cruise now for, I don't know, 10 years or so. Has it been a success, the idea of offering a cruise where people come with their best friends? Oh, yeah, most certainly. Now, as you know, uh, as a dog owner myself, I'm always looking for activities to do with the dog that I can enjoy along uh, with my dog. So uh, this is definitely popular among uh, dog owners, uh, and they get the added benefit of learning and enjoying, you know, Chicago's history and our beautiful skyline, especially uh, in this beautiful weather that we've been having. Um, so it's, uh, it is popular among dog owners, and uh, we look forward to uh, meeting uh, all of your dogs on the water there. Dressed up. Now, who uh, judges? Who decides what the best costume is? Is that, is that your responsibility? Well, my, my responsibility, I just uh, make sure that everybody has the best time on the boat. But uh, it'll be through, uh, through Mercury Cruises, and uh, I'm sure somebody above me who's a little smarter will uh, <laughs> figure out exactly who looks the best. Uh, when it comes to uh, dogs, because uh, I would pick everybody, so I can't. Uh, I understand. I can't yeah. Dog. yeah, that but, must be a, a uniquely qualified job to judge that. Now, yeah. how do people learn more about it? Okay, so uh, the easiest way is to go on to our website, mercurycruises.com, and click on tickets. Uh, any information that we didn't cover there will be on the website. Canine cruise tickets are forty-two dollars for adults, eighteen for kids uh, under fifteen, eight dollars for dogs and free for children uh, under five. Um, so any other information, accessibility can be reached at mercurycruises.com. And this happens uh, this Sunday and next Sunday. And, yeah, this is fun. Dress up your dog and have a nice ride on the Chicago River out onto Lake Michigan. Captain, thank you so very much. Thank you, too. Look forward to seeing you all. Hi, hi. Is that what you say to a captain? Yes, you do. Shiver me timbers. Thank you, Captain. No problem. We've talked about how Queen Elizabeth absolutely adored her animals. Uh, We talked to the dog trainer for the Queen. Well, we are going to hear about her love of horses, but it went beyond that. Uh, She was an activist of sorts. Marty Irby is the executive director of Animal Wellness Action. Uh, Marty, you didn't know the Queen, but you certainly were well aware of how she felt about her horses, I believe. Absolutely, yes. She loved her horses dearly, I believe, more than anything. Um, If you go back in history, and she was 11 years old before she was ever in line to become queen and her uncle had not abdicated, she was asked what she wanted to be when she grew up, and she said, I should like to be a horse. And she did (laughs) something really great for me in 2020. She honored me with an award for my work to protect horses, and I didn't get to meet her. Unfortunately, it was all because of COVID. We were supposed to go over to Buckingham Palace and get to meet her, but that stopped things. But she just meant so much to me, and she meant so much to horses all over the world. I don't think there's been a greater horse protector in the world than Queen Elizabeth. So she was, among other things, opposed to soaring. What is that? Soaring is very rampant in the southeastern United States. Um, There actually are some small pockets in southern Illinois as well. 
Um, it's the practice of applying caustic chemicals such as mustard oil, croton oil, or diesel fuel to horses' feet, the skin, the pasterns on their feet, and then also inserting sharp objects into the hooves. And then once they do that, they have soared the horse, why it's called soaring, to make it soar, and they add chains, metal ankle chains around the pastern of the horse to hit the skin, and these large stacked shoes under the horse's hooves um, all to exacerbate that pain and make the horse step higher to produce an artificial gait known as the big lick, and that's rewarded. So the horse that steps the highest at the end of the day is the horse that wins, and it's all as a result of this pain. And it is illegal to do that for the purposes of show or sell, but the 1970 Horse Protection Act that my late friend Senator Joe Tidings enacted um, had some loopholes in it and has not been amended since 1976, and it allowed the use of those devices still, and that's really what's keeping the soaring alive. So we're working to pass legislation to prevent all soaring tactics acts that would end this abuse and also on regulations that the USDA could do without having to enact the law, um, although that's a little more difficult of a challenge sometimes. And we want to see this end. And Queen Elizabeth knew about it. She read my life story. Monty Roberts, who's the man who listens to horses and was her horse trainer, uh, is a dear, close friend of mine. We've been friends for 17 years. And he gave her this document I've prepared. Um, and she read my life story and honored me with this award. And I grew up in the walking horse world and have been trying to stop this practice for most of my adult life and uh, paid the price with some terrible consequences as a result of that. But we're committed to getting this done, and we truly want to execute her charge and see this through and fulfill what she wanted to see these horses have end. Now, the fact that she wanted to see this end, the practice end, does that help you legislatively, timing-wise, at this point in time? I mean, after all, if Queen Elizabeth thought it was cruel, it must be cruel. Well, that's an interesting thing. I think she's still helping us because Yesterday, during the funeral, I got an email from the House, U.S. House Energy and Commerce Committee. Uh, Obviously, a foreign monarch could not influence federal legislation in the U.S. legally, and she was, you know, deceased. Um, But uh, I got an email from them, and they are doing a full committee markup on the past act tomorrow. And the next step will be to move it to the House floor. That could happen next week and get it passed at least through the House of Representatives. So, yes, absolutely, without a doubt, she made a difference. She also is adamant about positive reinforcement training for horses. Uh, you mentioned Monty Roberts, who's a, a, uh, an absolute, I mean, this, this man went to her funeral. I mean, they were very, very close, I believe. But he is a supporter and proponent and has been for a very long time of positive reinforcement training for horses. Are we beginning to finally get that in, the, in America? We are, and the process and practices and principles that he teaches are called join-up, where you actually communicate with the horse in their own language. Monty spent time watching the wild horses on the range when he was a young child, and he learned how they communicate, and he's applied that where the horses accept you as one of the herd, and that is how you get them to want to do something instead of what these people have been doing for so long, so many centuries, of forcing horses to do it. And, you know, can you believe this? This is absolutely insane to me, but uh, it's the truth. Monty called the Queen over 200 times in their 33- or 4-year relationship um, unannounced, and not once did she fail to come to the phone and answer it. So I think that says a lot about the relationship and how much she thought of his work, and 
she actually had heard about it. He trained Ronald Reagan's horses, and she had heard about it. And she summoned him in 1989 to come over there and show her what, what he did. And uh, they became close friends. He told me the queen mum, who was alive then, she actually cried in tears just seeing what this did for the horses. And she charged Monty to go spread this around the world, became patron of Join Up International, which is his organization. And he has taken this to 41 countries around the world. Wow. That's pretty incredible, Marty Irby. So is the work you do. Executive Director, Animal Wellness Action. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate you having me on today. Achoo! Well, that's what's happening right now, right? With all the hay fever, it's it's driving me crazy. I don't know about you. I know Lisa Dent and I have talked about this because she has a similar problem that I have. We talked on Chicago's Afternoon News about not only our allergies, well, you don't want to hear about that, but your dog's allergies, which I'll explain. Now, it's a broad topic in dogs, just as it is in humans. An allergy, by the way, is a state of overreactivity or hypersensitivity of the immune system to a particular substance called an allergen. Most allergies are proteins from plants and insects, animals, or foods, depending on what that individual dog, I'm talking dogs now, might be allergic to. Now, the most common thing to happen with dogs isn't necessarily, though it can be, <laughs> chew. Dogs sometimes do that. But usually they're scratching and scratching and scratching, and sometimes that develops into a bacterial infection. Now, the most common allergy in dogs? People, no, it's not the most common allergy in people, but it is in dogs. It's called flea allergy dermatitis. And that's a long name for a dog being potentially allergic to just one flea bite. So flea protection appropriate. Flea protection. Oh, there's a lot of reasons why this is really important. But this is yet another reason why flea protection is most important. Now, if you live in Florida, I can assure you, flea allergy dermatitis, that's number one on the allergy list. In Chicago, it might be number two. I'm not Who keeps track of this stuff? I don't know. But the second most common allergy is inhalant allergies or something in the environment, just like all of us. So there's mold and ragweed and pollen and all those things. Dust mites are another that we're commonly allergic to. The same potentially is true for dogs. So what what do you do about that? So for the flea allergy, talk to your veterinarian about an appropriate Flea protection. Don't just go to the pet store and try to choose one because the packaging seems really cool or because it's on sale. Talk to your veterinarian about the right product. About inhalant allergies or environmental allergies, there are all sorts of things that can be done, including steroids. That's been commonly done for a long time. And as a short-term fix, Absolutely, that's fine. Long term, no, you don't want your dog on steroids forever. Certain antihistamines can be used and can be enormously helpful, but don't just pick one out of your medicine cabinet. Some antihistamines that we take that can help us may actually be dangerous for dogs, but there's two new products out. One is a daily oral medication called Apoquel, and the other is a long-acting injection that's called Cytopoint. Ask your veterinarians about this new technology because it is quite amazing. The third most common allergy in dogs, that's 
dog food allergies, right? And we all think that's the most common. No, that's actually number three on the list. What is number 153 or something? It's rare. It can happen. Dogs allergic to cats? Oh, no, the world is ending. Well, it can't end because we'll be back next week, bright and early on WGN.